The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Everyone, welcome to Sox Machine Live. I am Josh Nelson alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and co-host of the podcast. It's Jim Margulis as we are streaming live this wonderful Thursday night, September 28, 2023, as the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up their series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And uh, guess what? They lost that series. Uh, but hey, at least they won the third game. They won the third game 3-1. to one. Uh, The first game of the series, they were up 4-1 to one after two innings and then proceeded to allow 14 unanswered runs uh, to the Diamondbacks. And uh, then it was just a casual three to nothing loss in game two as uh, the offense is working wonders for the White Sox in that series against the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Diamondbacks are a very good team they needed to win that series especially when we talk about the MLB postseason race later in the show but we're going to be recapping what happened quickly against Arizona but this is it Jim this is the last call of 2023 for the Chicago no. White Sox yeah I know I know well, you're you're heartbroken I... I know Terrible. you're Yeah. What one more series left folks as yep. the San Diego Padres come to town who are not mathematically eliminated from the postseason quite yet. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get into that. The way they can make the playoffs <laughs> is Josh insane. Hader wishes they were, but they're not. <laughs> yeah. They're still alive, still alive. So the San Diego Padres somehow, some way are still alive for the postseason. So they're, well, we'll see on how they react to the last weekend of the 2023 season. Uh, but Jim, back to the White Sox losing another series against Arizona. What was like your big takeaway from these three games? Uh, well, it could have been worse, I think, was my big takeaway when you watched how the bullpen pitched in the first game, and then you have Luis Patino pitching a bullpen game in the second game, and then Tuki Toussaint, who is occasionally guilty of the early exits and sure enough he left five innings for the bullpen to cover like that could have been terrible it could have been uh 14 15 16 runs every game but uh, the bullpen more or less held it together Aaron Bummer pitched well so I mean it doesn't mean much in terms of 
2024 and projecting what kind of team might be there, what kind of bullpen might be there. But in terms of just watchability, getting the season over with nobody getting hurt, not doing any more damage, like that's more or less where I'm at. Like get everybody out in an orderly fashion, kind of like a, a fire alarm, just, uh, just, usher everybody towards the exit safely and if everything burns down behind them uh at least they have their phones yeah yohan ricotta hit a home run in the third game of the series so he has reached 10 home runs this season Woo! double digits for yohan ricotta andrew vaughn also hit his hit a home 10 run times as series. many homers as tim anderson yes oh my gosh yeah especially when you put it that way yikes yeah uh, Vaughn hit another homer, so he's got 21 of the season, and he's also reached 80 RBIs, which I think he will eventually lead the team again in back-to-back years, and that will get brought up when people are trying to continue saying that Andrew Vaughn is a good hitter, that he leads the White Sox at RBIs. I, I do like the RBI stat. I know Jim also likes the RBI stat. We're going to talk about just how woeful this White Sox offense has been in 2023 it's it's faint praise when you're saying that andrew vaughn is a good hitter because he leads the team in rbis somebody has to lead the team in rbis and he's lucky that luis robert unfortunately has to miss the final week of the 2023 season uh due to injury but yeah this the the lineups that we have been seeing it's obviously the end of the season Mm-hmm. And uh, like half of these guys that are in the lineup, I just look at every single day, Jim, like they shouldn't even be on this team next year. Like if the yeah. White Sox are serious about contending in 2024, yeah, half the lineup should not be on the team. I think that's why we're seeing Chris Getz uh, go from being somebody who can turn around the White Sox in a hurry and hit the ground running and fill the gaps because he knows the ins and outs to being like, oh, God. Like this could could take years. And I mean, it's a bait and switch as far as Jerry Reinsdorf's concerned, uh, because Reinsdorf was telling fans that there's no time to waste. And, you know, Branch Rickey would need a year and and so on and so forth. And like Chris Getz needs a year. Chris Getz needs two years. Like he's the guy who's in charge of minor league development and said he knew the ins and outs. And now he's trying to figure out like how you know, how to get certain departments, even with other departments in terms of how advanced they are in her, in terms of how they're working. Like it's not feasible to expect a quick turnaround with this team. This is late stage white Sox. It's falling apart. Uh, it's, uh, you know, years, if not a decade of neglect in certain areas and half-assing it in others. And uh, it's going to take, if not a complete gut job or a teardown, because like, there's just not much to sell at the very least, it's just going to take patience and doing the job right. So, like, it doesn't bother me that Getz says that, uh, you know, he doesn't exactly know yet because, like, nobody should. He shouldn't know. Like, the the promise that he should know or he'd be the guy to know was terrible. So I'm relieved that he's not being like, yeah, I got to turn this around in a hurry. So I appreciate the moderation on his end. It's just Jerry Reinsdorf being terrible <laughs> and uh, and, you know, a special combination of arrogant and lazy that I think is really hard to replicate uh, that, that only the moneyed can, can pull off uh, I think is what uh, is frustrating about it. But if you try to keep gets independent of that, because he has a job to do and you hope that he does the job. Well, it's like, I appreciate the more sober tone he's taking over the past uh, you know, week or so and saying that like, Oh, the answers are going to be hard to find. 
The biggest acts are visiting Chicago this summer on top of all the baseball games and other great concerts, theater shows too. It could be quite the chore and headache trying to secure tickets to all of these shows and events. Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. Use Game Time to purchase your tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, theater near you. They've got killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee helps eliminate stressing over tickets. If you find tickets in the same section or even row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why Game Time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Download the Game Time app, create your account, and get $20 off your first purchase using our promo code SOCKSMACHINE. Terms and conditions apply. Again, create an account and use our promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $20 off your first ticket purchase. Game Time. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, he's already done the deep dive, right? And, and he's bringing in new faces, new voices into Kinda. the front office. It sounds like he did a deep dive and he needs to do a deeper dive. Well, that and that's the problem, Jim, right? Mm. It's, oh, I lost my wedding ring in the pond. The pond's only three feet deep. Let me search for it. Oh, crap. The pond goes like nine feet deep. I have to search further down the depths of the pond. That's that's Chris Getz right now. Yeah, he just there's thought, riptide. Right. There's he, just, he just he just thought, oh, there's only like three feet. Like it's shallow water. And then you take a step and you drop. And he realizes that he is taking that step. And I'm gonna visualize what this drop is. And I think this is where a lot of the conversation that Chris gets in his new front office and Patrick Rafal, unfortunately, is gonna be part of those conversations. Let's look at the last 10 years for White Sox team OPS plus. So again, no matter what. 100 is league average, and every point above or below 100 is a percentage point above or below league average. And in 2013, that team that went 63 and 99 had a cumulative team OPS plus of 84. They were 16% below league average. And as you can see during the first rebuild into we're mediocre into the big rebuild. The team was still below league average. And then in the shortened season, they were way above league average. The offense had a big year, even in a shortened season. Jose Abreu won the American League MVP. 2021, the offense was still quality. 
Last year, when the team finished 500, we mentioned that the offense was short and that they needed to add another impact bat if they were going to turn this around. They didn't do that, or at least they thought they did it with Andrew Benatendi. This offense is at 83 OPS+. plus. This is worse than they were a decade ago. And I had to look it up because today was free stat hat day on BaseballReference.com, Jim. Mm-hmm. This is the worst performing White Sox offense towards league average since 1986, when that 86 White Sox team, the only year that Hawk Carrollson was the general manager, had a team OPS plus of 80. So it's safe to say for a lot of people listening to this or watching this that are around our age, Jim, this is the worst performing White Sox offense of our lifetime. And if they're going to turn this around, this is the biggest area of need that they need to turn around here. And this is where I'm getting to as far as like with my metaphor, standing in a pond for Chris Getz. And to your point, Jim, with his most recent press conference, understanding that he needs to take a more deeper dive into the White Sox problems. Here's your deeper dive, man. Like when you have a 97 team OPS plus, okay, you can do a deep dive. When you look at the numbers and it's worse than you think it is, then yeah, it takes a deeper dive because you have to go down the deep end to get to the bottom of what the hell is going on here. And man, it's going to take a lot to turn around that woeful of an offense, but that's how bad it's been, Jim. Mm -hmm. This is the worst White Sox offense since 1986. Yeah. I mean, like the through line in all those years is depth, you know, basically stay healthy going through it. It's like they had a, okay front line of talent but as soon as somebody got hurt or somebody got old or declined sooner than expected you know that's what happened either they had to ride with you know and that predates uh or, or that doesn't count adam dunn's first terrible year but like you know just whenever they have a bad veteran like they have to stick with that bad veteran adam laroche would be in that in that time frame of just well he's the only one here we don't have better ideas because like it's just we're thin and we don't produce players internally or the players we produce internally need years to get up to league average themselves to get up to speed. So, you know, there's that. There's also the fact that like, I'm amazed that this is a rebuilding. It's not a rebuilding team right now. It's just a, you know, skeleton crew team, but like they tore down the roster and they made trades. And yet like Lenin Sosa is the youngest guy on the team, but like they've run out some lineups where nobody is born in the two thousands everybody's born in the 1990s or you know earlier perhaps i I don't know the oldest uh, player i've kind of lost track of that in terms of uh, when their birthday is but like you know probably elvis andrews 80s but like it's a case where like if your team's that bad usually you want them to be young to where like there's some precocious talent there like oh you can't expect a 22 year old to hit the ground running this first go around but like even oscar colas was old for a rookie uh or on the older side for a rookie and the fact that they're rolling on an outfield, like three out of four outfielders they used on Thursday, uh, Gavin Sheets, Tyler Naquin, Trace Thompson, none of whom should be on the team next year, or at least especially like in an outfield capacity. Like Corey Lee, not sure if he's part of the plans. No. Like he's just, you know, no. flailing away. Like he's, you know, I didn't think he should have been called up to begin with. And like he's at least proving that point. But like the bottom four of the roster, like in, or I guess you can include five because Naquin uh, replaced Sheets, but like they all can go. <laughs> 
and like Oscar Colas, you know, thoroughly buried in the doghouse. I wish they did call up Colas so like the White Sox could option him down again. So like Pedro could, you know, Pedro Grifol could, you know, feel like a, a real manager because apparently like. I thought Colas you were going to say, real... so I could feel like a real man. So I can well, bully someone again. Yeah. Real man, a jury, like uh, parentheses. <laughs> um, just because like that's the only guy who suffers consequences for his actions. Like Tim Anderson's back, you know, his OPS is back below 600 and one for his last 16 going to be coasting the exit and like still batting lead off like it just mm-hmm. on and on and on so yeah it's just it's bad the outfield is thin like especially like beyond like Luis robert and andrew benintendi who's been bad this year like it's not good and uh like there are no quick fixes like lenin sosa not a quick fix even if he's worth some at bats like jose rodriguez you have to count on him looking like lenin sosa if he gets a chance uh Colson Montgomery, not there yet. Brian Ramos, not there yet. So there are, there's no internal help that can even like bridge a roster to the Montgomery Ramos part without losing a ton of games. When did Tyler Naquin, by the way, join the White Sox organization? Like when they announced they called him up, I had no idea he was part of Charlotte. I want to say it was like early September or something like that. Like waivers. Do they hate Victor Reyes? Maybe <laughs> do they not? Do they not want to? Do they not want to give him some kudos? Like, hey, nice job at AAA, man. You 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 played hard all season long. Let's call you up. No, they didn't want to. Well, he doesn't really him. play center. If I guess that they want somebody fake center like you, but they quick. Whatever. Okay. Yeah, I mean it doesn't doesn't matter. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's either that or like yeah, Victor Riaz is you know just uh, not. Yeah, he's 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 also in the doghouse, but in the AAA doghouse. But no, Naquin was August eighth. So I had no idea they've made some waiver claims and such since then. But yeah, he was early August. Another crazy thing, like in twenty twenty, obviously the shortened season, the White Sox that year hit ninety six home runs in sixty games. They would have easily been on pace to surpass two hundred in that season. But when you just look at 162 game schedules, the White Sox as a team have not hit more than 200 home runs since 2012. And we we know that ball go far, team go far, and you play in the most home run hitter ballpark in the American League at guarantee rate field. Jim, I feel like we're a broken record here because we've been... We've been harping on this since the American League Division Series loss to the Houston Astros. Like, you don't have enough offense to win the American League pennant. And Rick Conn and Kenny Williams ignored us. Mm-hmm. And they're unemployed because of their inability to fix this offense. Now you have new people coming in, and you got someone like Brian Bannister that will hope, hopefully help out with the, the pitching side. But like if Josh Barfield and this Gene Watson guy are, are trying to get in the ear, of Chris Gatz and try to turn this around again, for those that are watching YouTube, I'll bring up this graphic. This is the team OPS team OPS of 83. And it is the worst again, since 1986. So this is where you got to turn this around. And I think it's going to require a lot of new faces if you are being serious about contending in 2024, because what's the other plan? Prayer, hope, faith. Like you already went through that. That was your, that was your plan a for 2023 and look where it landed you. 
Yeah, or as John mentioned in the comments here, highlighting that uh, they may as well move the fences back like they did in Baltimore. <laughs> and, I mean, that's kind of how it's looking right now in terms of if they really want to turn around fast, and that was just a case of, like, I don't know if there is one team that demoralizes the White Sox like the Yankees demoralized the Orioles like Glaber Torres that year, just uh, putting every other fly ball over the left field wall and the Orioles saying, fine, we're moving the wall back 35 feet. Uh, just a huge cutout where all of Glaber Torres' homers went. And uh, it turns out it was a brilliant strategy, but unfortunately the White Sox, like if they don't draw walks, it's hard and they don't run the bases well, we can move in the fences back won't help them. Like Baltimore can run, Baltimore can cover some ground in the outfield. Uh, the White Sox would have to do that and they're not there yet. So I think that strategy is limited. Also, the White Sox have tried that before in various iterations. They move the fences in, move the fences back, temporary fences, uh, trying to get a guy over 30 homers. I think it was in the 19... 19- I think they did in the forties and I think they did again in the sixties and didn't work either time. So it's been a pretty rough uh, history when it comes to fence links in the white Sox because it's trying to paper over more uh, persistent deficiencies. But I think that's the one thing you know, mentioned that just not hitting homers and broken records saying the same thing over and over. Like it is a relief that Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn are gone. And like, I, I know there's like a um, you know, tendency to be like, oh, you don't want to like dance on somebody's grave. Um, and this might be just a, a slow dance on somebody's grave, but, uh, you know, not a happy one. Just not, not a, quite it, a polka. Yeah. Yeah. Not a uh, not a not a mosh pit, but it's a case of just being so tired of like it was like the smugness at the end too, like the, mm-hmm. you know, we know, we might know a thing or two better than the people on the outside who, you know, we don't, they Speaking don't know. All the, yeah. This they don't, they don't have access to all the data or the conversations we have on and on and on. They're just year after year, the results aren't there. And like at signing Adam, jumping the market, sign Adam Eaton being like, that's a bad idea. And it turns out it's a bad idea. And like, you know, they just continued being smug and continue making the same mistakes. So I'm happy that they're out just because Chris gets like coming in, no successes to point to like he doesn't have 2005 to point to i guess that's what we can say is that he's completely separated from that as a player as an executive so he can't say well there's a little people didn't think we're gonna beat the projections in 2005 and we signed a bunch of guys for one-year deals and look at what that team did like he can't say that so that's a relief and uh that i think gives him a little bit of humility or like gives him like like i think raises his uh raises awareness that he hasn't accomplished anything and he's coming into this pretty much without anything he's lucky to have a job he's lucky to have this job he mm-hmm. might be a farm director somewhere else or he you know, he, he might have an acumen to certain things that might have allowed him to climb a ladder in another organization but having this job at this age with what he's accomplished like only with the white Sox. so i think there's some awareness probably that he knows that. And I haven't detected the same amount of like, how dare you question me or how dare you have doubts? So I'm encouraged by that. I'm, you know, I think the Bannister hire is good. I think the Barfield hire is different enough to where like, I don't know what to think. And that is good. I'd rather not know what to think than be like, this kind of stinks. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I, Pedro Griffo, like I didn't know what to think about that. And it turns out it stunk, but like the process was sound. They tried, didn't work. Unfortunately, it doesn't sound like they're going to learn anything from it because Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't want to pay two managers again. But that's kind of where I'm, you know, where I'm at with Getz is like, I am not optimistic. I think he's probably the product of a flawed 
owner who's just getting worse at owning a team. And so like I, he's probably going to fail, but like he hasn't done anything individually yet to make me write the person off. And I'm guess I'm going to take solace in that as long as I can. Here is a crazy factoid right now. The team on base percentage is below 300 and there's a good chance they're going to finish with an on-base percentage as a team below 300 this year. That would be the worst team on-base percentage since 1968. The last, the, the, the last time the White Sox had a team on-base percentage below 300 was in 1968 when they had a team on-base percentage of 284. Prior to today's game against the Arizona Diamondbacks, the White Sox were at 293, and they barely had any base runners today. So that might be closer to 290, and then they had these three games against the San Diego Padres, and unless they're high scoring, the White Sox generate a ton of base runners. They're probably going to have an on-base percentage below 300, which means this would be the worst on-base percentage during the tenure of Jerry Reinsdorf <laughs> as chairman of the Chicago White Sox. Well, like... Not I, I, can't believe, I, I can't believe we're saying this, Jim. Mm -hmm. The core, what they, they being Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and adding Chris Getz being the farm director, what they had traded for, what they had drafted, what they had signed for internationally. And it got them, again, an above average offensive season in 2020, got them into the postseason. They were above average again in 2021. They won the American League Central. They were below league average last year, and it hurt them uh, as they finished 581 and 81. They ignored everyone, and now we are talking about, with three games left to go, one of the worst offensive seasons in franchise history. That's what mm -hmm. we're talking about here, folks. And yeah, I mean, I don't you look know at how the numbers, any, I, I don't know how it gets any better, Jim. Yeah. Right. Like, because again, so many of these guys, to your point earlier, mm -hmm. they're not young. This isn't like 22 year old Eloy Jimenez and 23 year old Yon Mikata and 21 year old Luis Robert trying to figure out hit major league pitching. No, no. Most of these guys are hitting arbitration or their final years of their contract or contract options coming up. Mm -hmm. Like, Again, this is the number one area entering the last week of the regular season. And when you watch these three games against the Arizona Diamondbacks and you see these lineups, it's like, man, these lineups are awful. Like, historically bad lineups the White Sox are trying out there because that's just the state of the roster. And then you take a deep dive into the numbers and it's like, oh my gosh, this is the worst offense of like my White Sox fandom. Holy crap, this is the lowest on base percentage since 1968. Like a lot of White Sox fans, a lot of people who listen to this podcast and go to Sox Machine every single day, Jim, they've never seen an offense this bad in their lifetime. Well, the thing is, if you mentioned 68, that was the year of the pitcher. They lowered the mounds afterwards because offense was so suppressed. So, I mean, like when you look at, I'm looking at the uh, lowest OBPs in team history. It's, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, The top 15 are all either the three years, 1960s, before they lowered the mound, so 66, 67, 68, and then all before World War One, and the 2023 White Sox. So the dead ball era, the deadest of the dead ball era, the year of the pitcher and the years preceding it that 
forced a rule change in order to create offense because it was just uh, the game had completely reverted back to the dead ball era and this year's team. And then like, if you go outside the top 15, number 16, the 2013 White Sox, 302. Number 17, the uh, 2018 White Sox, 302. And then it's finally 1988. So like that's, it's the Rick Hahn teams and the 60s teams where just the game was screwed up and World War One when they basically like hit potatoes with uh, with railroad ties. Like that's kind of what you're looking at for the context of this offense. So like there hasn't been a, a normal offense or like a, a White Sox team in a normal offensive environment or at least like a power friendly offensive environment that has been nearly as bad as this offense. And you can only compare it to completely warped ones in order to bring, uh, to give this team some company. Again, there's going to be a lot of focus in the offseason, especially in the Sox machine offseason plan projects and try to fill out a pitching rotation, which I get it because you got to get through the marathon of 162 game season. Pitching depth is still going to be a concern for the Chicago White Sox and pitching is not cheap. Uh, so that's going to eat up most of whatever offseason budget that Jerry Reinsdorf is going to allow Chris Getz, whatever that number is going to be. But, you know, with Getz talking about the deep dives and having to take a deeper dive, and he was also asked by Bruce Levine of Six Save the Score about the status of Tim Anderson, which we talked about that in our last episode of the Sox Machine podcast. You can also check out our friends from the 108 Beef Loaf. He also put up a video, very similar opinion that we have, that it's probably best that the White Sox do move on and buy out the million-dollar uh, contract for Tim Anderson to make him a free agent, maybe renegotiate with him during the off season and bring him back. If the phone calls get cold or nobody's calling for his services, Tim Anderson doesn't help you here. Tim Anderson does not fix your on base percentage problem. He does not fix your power problem. Andrew Benatendi doesn't fix the defense problem. Doesn't fix the <laughs> defense problem, but you know, a three twenty two on base percentage it, yeah, that's good in context compared to everybody else in the White Sox, but it's going to have to be higher than that to be real impactful. And Yohan Mikata, he's been great in his last 40 games, but you know, you play more than 40 games in, in a Major League Baseball season, he's been having a terrible time being consistent enough over a 162-game season. Uh, Andrew Vaughn's on-base percentage is below 320. The outfield is a mess, second base is a mess, and oh my gosh, they they may have made the catching position even worse because Corey Lee's not a major leaguer. Like if you if you brought up a shopping list for Chris Getz, like if you and I did that, Jim, maybe that's a future podcast episode. You and mm -hmm. I create a shopping list. Like this is what you need to do in the offseason, Chris Getz, to realistically build a White Sox team that could win the American League Central in 2024. I mean, half of that list, more than half of that list, is Involves just going to be machine. offense. I mean, <laughs> it's just a time machine. Yeah, get the 2020 White Sox and bring them over. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it, right? Like, yeah, I, I, I think can't, like, I can't believe how bad it's gotten. Yeah, looking at the team OBPs, like Luis Robert, like as good as he is, three fifteen. Um, you know, and I don't want to like knock Luis Robert because like he does so much well, like, you know, right. 38 homers. Great. Center field defense. Outstanding. Runs the base as well. Terrific. Like, you know, that's all good. But we've talked about this before. Like if I'm Chris Getz and I'm trying to design this team like Luis Roberts around, he's 
going to be in the foundation of the team. And like, he's the only one who really can stake a claim to that. Like Dylan Cease kind of on the outside looking in based on how many guys he walks and how rough he's looked. Maybe Brian Bannister has an answer for him, but like, Right now, I'm not considering him like a foundational piece. Like it's Luis Robert, and that's about it. But if I'm Chris Getz, I'm looking like I gotta compensate for the one thing Luis Robert doesn't do well, which is you know get on base around hits. Like if he goes 0 for 12, like it's an 0 for 12. It's on 0 for nine with three walks, or it's not you know like there there's no way to compensate when he goes cold. So like he needs to be able to find OBP guys. So like that Roberts. One flaw doesn't match everybody else's flaw, and that drags down Robert's contributions uh, as a result. So, like, if that takes a few years, fine. If it like comes a case where two years from now, or you know, maybe even after next year, and like, I don't know where OBP is coming from. Maybe you trade Luis Robert just because like you're not going to max out his skill set based on what he's you know what he's providing, and maybe it makes sense to like try to get two or three players who. Uh, you know, maybe can just change the shape of the roster because he can't do it himself. Like that's obviously like the darkest timeline outcome, but just, I think that's what I make my priority is like, whatever you do, don't make the team uh, drag Luis Robert down and turn him into somebody who makes the problem worse. In a perfect world or in a video game world, the two guys hitting in front of Luis Robert in the lineup would have on base percentages of 350 or better. Mm-hmm. So that way, out of the 38 home runs that he hit, 28 of them or something like that are not solo shots. Like to your point, he doesn't get on base at a high clip, but man, when Luis Robert gets a hold of it, he does serious damage. And you should have guys that can get on base a lot more consistent in front of Luis Robert. He's just hitting so many solo home runs because Tim Anderson and Andrew Benatendi don't get on base consistently. Like that's, that's the problem there. And again, Tim Anderson is not going to help you fix that problem for next year, no matter how much faith that you want to have in him, that he could reverse course and turn back the clock to his 2019 or 2020 self. Like honestly, Tim Anderson at 350 on base percentage, he needs to hit 325 or 330, and that mm-hmm. wins the batting title. Like that's the only way Tim Anderson gets to that level of on base percentage. Andrew Benatendi would probably have to hit 310 in order uh, to have that high of on base percentage. Those guys are not the guys that you want leading get it ahead of the Luis Robert in your lineup to turn this offense around and you don't have anybody else that has that skill set so I'm I'm grateful that Chris Getz publicly has said that they need to take a deeper dive they need to have more of an exhaustive conversation that was the word that gets used exhaustive when speaking with Tim Anderson and what they're going to do and what options what ideas that they may have for Tim Anderson in the offseason but Boy, entering the last weekend of the season, everyone keeping an eye on what to do in this offseason, how to get this team turned around. We're talking about an all-time worse White Sox offense, and you don't have a lot of help right now in AAA. There might be some help coming soon in AA, but boy, if Jerry Reinsdorf, Jim, really wants to compete next year, he better open up the checking book, and you're going to have to spend like the Mets and Padres have recently and I know there's a lot of pushback on that, that those teams are not winning, but you have way too much work to do to turn this ship around. <laughs> Give me the best player seven one-year contracts worth $10 million a piece can afford. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> no kidding. Yeah, it's pretty much what it would be. Like, let's spread it real thin. Yeah, no kidding. So, yeah, again, that's the woeful offense, and that's enough White Sox talk. So let's talk about what has been of interest to me. Well, one last day in the White Sox talk on the Tankathon. Uh, they are looking to be in the fourth slot right now. Uh, I give it up for the Colorado Rockies, man. When you're talking about tanking, losing nine of your last 10 games is one hell of a way to ensure the White Sox cannot catch you. Uh, the White Sox need the Rockies to win out. <laughs> mm-hmm. and the White Sox need to lose out to catch the Rockies. So more likely than not, the White Sox will have a 13.25% chance of getting the number one pick in the 2024 Major League Baseball draft when they have that lottery uh, during the winter meetings. So that's where the White Sox currently are. Uh, right now, it looks like they have the best odds of getting a the number four overall pick in the 2024 draft. But again, we'll see what happens with the lottery. All right, so the MLB postseason race. Uh, we saw the Seattle Mariners at home against the Houston Astros the Astros really beat up on Seattle pitching and the Texas Rangers did not get swept by the angels. We were a little concerned that we didn't have a good handle on the American league West. And uh, thankfully the Rangers took care of business. So the Rangers who have won seven of the last 10 games are currently 89 and 69 right now. They're two and a half games ahead of Houston. They're four games ahead of Seattle And the Rangers and the Mariners have a four-game series. It starts tonight in Seattle. That's how the season ends for both teams. Four games left to go against each other in Seattle. And the Mariners would have to sweep the Rangers in order for the Mariners to catch the Texas Rangers. Meanwhile, the Houston Astros are going to have a three-game series against the Arizona Diamondbacks, a team that just won the series against the White Sox. And that will start tomorrow. The the, the Astros, I'm sorry, two and a half games back of the Rangers. They have a little bit more breathing room when it comes to American League wildcard. They're a game and a half ahead of Seattle for that sixth spot, and they're a half game back of Toronto for the fifth seed. Uh, so after this midweek series, Jim, uh, kind of a missed opportunity here for Seattle. They had such a great record against the Houston Astros, but to lose two out of three at home against the Astros – I wonder here, is Seattle sunk? Is this too big of a hole to climb out in the final weekend of the season? I mean, I'd like to say, seems like it. I'd like to say, but like, I feel more confident saying yes than no, but just with how many things have, how many takes have gone wrong uh, immediately after coming out of a mouth uh, is just, it makes me hesitant. Monday, can you believe it? The Mariners swept the Rangers. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. It's like, you know, rock, paper, scissors all all over again. But yeah, I mean, they do seem like a little bit uh, lost and like, man, that, that Hector Neris going after Julio Rodriguez. Did they figure out what was going on? Because the Seattle broadcast was trying to figure out and they went back through old footage during the season. If there was some type of headbutting or heated moments between those two and they just couldn't find anything. Yeah, no, I mean like, and you know, there was uh, accusation that Neris said a homophobic slur. Uh, Neris denied it. You know, Rodriguez wouldn't say, but you know, Rodriguez was shocked because he thought like he and Neris were like, friends or like they play on the world baseball classic team together, like thought they'd gotten along. So, I mean, like, I don't know if it's the Astros realizing like, Hey, we haven't done anything colossally stupid in a while to get everybody to hate us. Let's uh, Hector, your turn, you know, get in there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that seems like a, you know, 
it's a moment of indignity, I think, for Seattle because it's one thing to like you know lose and you know, lose a series, a key series to Houston home. Another thing to like have the Astros like going at you and disrespecting you for no good reason and just you know extra salt in the wound there. So uh, I'm hoping it's not the case. Like I'm hoping they can rally against the Rangers. Like Houston flops out, but I mean like it just it's hard to see the math working that way. Yeah, it's gonna be it's a it's an uphill climb and. Again, this is as far as the the weekend here, the Rangers four games in Seattle, the Astros three games against the Diamondbacks. And I mean, the Rangers have been great at home this year. That offense has been wonderful. It's not going to be an easy series for them against Seattle. And to your point, Jim, whenever you want to count out Seattle, they will shock you. And I could easily see them winning three out of four in this weekend and getting to 88 wins and really forcing some pressure on the Toronto Blue Jays. Cause the Blue Jays here, again, they're a game and a half they're, I'm sorry. They're two games ahead of Seattle, but the Blue Jays are playing right now against the Yankees and they have a weekend series against the Tampa Bay Rays. Like this is not an easy way to finish the season for the Toronto Blue Jays. So the Blue Jays, they should feel a little comfortable here, but they've lost their last two games and they could be right into the frying pan here if they stumble this weekend against Tampa Bay. So those are the two big series that I'm going to be watching. Obviously, I, I don't think there's a bigger series in this final weekend than Rangers and Mariners. Um, but also the Blue Jays and Rays is a very interesting series. Like, I'm with you, Jim. I don't want to count out Seattle just quite yet, but that was a painful series loss for them at home against Houston and they're going to need a lot of help. Like, not only do they have to take care of business against the Rangers and pretty much almost need to sweep the Rangers, but if they can't sweep the Rangers, they need a lot of help from Arizona, and they need a lot of help from Tampa Bay to see if they can claim one of those last playoff spots. So that's It's going to be a fascinating weekend in the American League postseason race. Yeah, and Toronto was my preseason World Series pick, and I'm not feeling great about that. I mean, getting to postseason, you have a chance, but just uh, the the whole year has been kind of like this. The offense has been disappointing. The pitching staff's been good, but not like good enough to keep up with, like say, Tampa Bay and Baltimore for how good their offenses are. So it just it, it feels like a little bit of a mismatched team, and uh, fortunately, just other teams have had bigger problems. Also, the Yankees are uh, 500 again, so. Something to watch. Can, well, they, yeah. can they stay above 500? Yeah, but it's like 8177. So it's like they, you know, when you listen to uh, Yankees fans or Yankees media or just follow their tweets, like they sound as depressed as White Sox fans should be. And yet, no losing season since when? 92. Uh, yeah, 92. So, yeah. Yeah. I How mean, do you lives? There's a whole generation of Yankees fans that have never seen a losing season. Yeah, no matter how bad they've been, no matter who they have to rely on to get by, no matter who gets hurt, uh, still, like, this is the worst they can do is 81 wins. Trade, yeah. We just talked about the worst offense we've seen pretty much in our lifetime. <laughs> Spoiled yep. brats, you Yankees fans. Uh, moving over to the National League, and it's been chaotic for a long time. And the Phillies, they're in. They don't have to worry about anything. The Phillies are finishing strong. Real strong again, Jim. They have won. They have won seven straight games. The Arizona Diamondbacks are a game and a half up on the Cubs and the Marlins right now for that fifth seed. So, 
if the Diamondbacks can win a game against the Astros this weekend, it's looking like to be Phillies and Diamondbacks in that first round. So who will the Milwaukee Brewers play? And if, again, when you look at the standings here and those that are watching our YouTube stream or watching the video, it's, you know, in the standings, the Cubs and the Marlins are tied. However, the Marlins own the tiebreaker. So if the Cubs and Marlins finish with identical records, the Marlins would move to the postseason. The Cubs would be knocked out. So right now that sixth seed would be the Marlins visiting the Milwaukee Brewers. The Cubs are traveling to Milwaukee for that three-game series, and I'm sure the Brewers will treat that like a playoff series as an opportunity to knock out the Chicago Cubs so they don't have to repeat as far as that series in the first round of the playoffs. We talked about San Diego. Okay, so again, the Cubs and the Marlins are at 82 wins, okay? In order for the Padres to make the playoffs, the Padres have to sweep the White Sox, not a tall task. Mm-hmm. And they need the Reds, the Marlins, and the Cubs to lose out. that's the only way the Padres make the playoffs. Like they are still mathematically alive until somebody reaches the 83rd win. And when they do, the Padres will be knocked out, but that's how the Padres are technically still alive. And you got the Cincinnati Reds still poking around down there. They're a game and a half back and they'll be traveling to St. Louis this weekend. Yeah. And the Marlins are uh, scoreless with the Mets. Uh, top of the six, the Cubs are losing the Braves five to one. It's kind of happening. It, you know, so in Chicago, I mean, sports radio this week has been just a dumpster fire, especially with what's going on with the Chicago Bears. Uh, I feel like we could be experts talking about the Bears because we cover the White Sox, Jim. They are definitely the White Sox in the NFL right now. So that's not a very fun topic. And then you have this whole Chicago Cubs situation going on. And I feel like no one has anyone to blame on the, from a Cubs point of view than themselves. Like for you having to win series on the road in Atlanta and Milwaukee, it's a tough task, man, no matter what point of the season. And I know the White Sox shocked us. Uh, during the middle of the season, winning the series in Atlanta. Nobody was expecting that. That might have been the best baseball the White Sox played uh, this season is when they did win that series. So it's not impossible. But you put yourself in that position because you stumbled in previous series, especially like against the Rockies. Like the Cubs had an opportunity to not be in this position. And as you mentioned, as we are streaming live right now, they are losing to Atlanta and threatened to get swept by the Braves, which is not a surprise. And then now having to go to Milwaukee, your big rival in the division, and you know, Jim, you know the Brewers are just licking their lips. They will do whatever it takes to eliminate the Cubs. They don't make the postseason. It could be a very long winter for Chicago sports. The Cubs do not find a way to make the postseason. David Ross. I'm curious what his, his uh, just future is. Like I've always been skeptical of him. Like he's, well, it's a case of like, he's got media training. He was the popular veteran go-to guy when he was a player in terms of going to the media and, and having quotes for people. And so like when it came to, you know, watching him versus Pedro Griffol, you know, watching Griffol just have nothing to say over and over again while like Ross in a rebuilding situation could at least crack jokes, could at least, 
you know, um, lay down some law and, and, lay, and lay down some standards in a way like where Griffo, like he had a one-on-one uh, interview with Lamont Pope at the Tribune and just like still offers nothing. He says, I'm not going to go into specifics. He's like, you know, why start now? But also just why, <laughs> like, you know, fans want to hear like something real from you, uh, given that nobody likes you and nobody wants you around <laughs> like these, he has no equity whatsoever with fans and still just offers them nothing. He's just, he's, he's just a uh, blank. So like seeing Ross as an example, like somebody who might not be a good manager, but at least has some charm and charisma to paper over that, or at least relate to the public well enough to uh, share some frustration or understand what the public might want to hear. Whereas Griffol's got nothing, but you know, with this kind of collapse happening and, you know, certainly some of his decisions have been front and center, uh, you know, some weird bunting uh, decisions, the bullpen's kind of falling apart, which might not be him, but also like that tends to fall back to the manager, like some really spectacular losses late against the Braves. Like they do look like they're choking a little bit and it's gonna be hard for a manager who, he hasn't won anything before to hang with it. So I'm curious, like what his status will be. And if they fire David Ross after this season, while keeping Pedro Grifol around, just like, yeah, it's watching the Cubs with new manager envy uh, is going to be another frustrating point of the season. Just uh, yeah. understand the way the White Sox just have a governor on how excited you could possibly be about them at any given time. Just like, Hey, Kenny Williams and Rick Hunter gone. I, yeah. I'm thrilled. No, I can't be thrilled. I can't be thrilled because Chris Getz is here and he's keeping Pedro Grifol. Like I'm not allowed to be excited about the direction of the team. So, I mean, that's kind of how the White Sox operate. And if Ross doesn't uh, come back and the Cubs actually conduct a manager search, like White Sox fans have to watch that, you know, like live through them vicariously to wonder like, what's it like to hire a manager in the off season of uh, 2023, 2024, because the White Sox aren't doing that. And they'll probably flirt with the idea of signing Shohei Otani and flirt with an idea of a nine-figure contract with Cody Bellinger. Yeah, uh, there's going to be some envy, most definitely, from White Sox fans and how the Cubs handle this offseason. But, you know, if the Cubs don't make it here, it's not going to get any easier for them for next year, right? Like in the 2024 season, at least in the American league central, the white Sox could just look around and be like, okay, the target is on the twins back this year. And uh, we'll see if they can continue uh, this good play for another season. Recent history suggests that they won't. And somebody else will find a way to win the division as the only team with a winning record. That's just the state of the American league central. Now, uh, not the case in the national league central. The Brewers are good. The Reds are on the rise. I'm imagining the St. Louis Cardinals are not going to tolerate what happened this year, and they're going to bounce back next year. The Pittsburgh Pirates are getting better as well. Like I don't want to say it's either now or never for the Chicago Cubs, but at least in the short term, this might be their best chance of earning one of those wildcard spots in the National League, and... Again, they, they had yeah. their chance, but they're they're stumbling towards the finish line. Yeah, not even earn it. Like in this case, like this is one of their chance to kind of like fall into a wild card spot, maybe a year earlier than they thought. Like not playing their best, not being a complete team, having some misfortune, and still having enough of a margin for error to get in. Like they could be better next year, but as you mentioned, the division will be better too. So they'll actually 
have to earn it. It won't be a matter of like lucking into it the way they kind of have with some well-timed hot streaks and the disappearance of the Cardinals and just, uh, you know, as we saw, like the Diamondbacks, you know, came away just being like, yeah, they're okay, but not terribly impressed. There's some, you know, interesting individual talent there. Like I like watching Corbin Carroll run a lot. Like that's yeah. a lot of fun, but just, you know, having seen them up close and seeing the record, like I kind of get why they are their record. Like they can kind of go cold a little bit. So I, I get that better than I understood it before. And, you know, I still look at the NL and see just four good teams and the other two, uh, wild card spots are unnecessary. Whereas with the, uh, the, the bottom heaviness of the American league with just the A's Royals and white Sox, uh, three of the four worst records in baseball, um, dragging down like a zero sum aspect means like the top of the ale is a lot better and sure enough it is. So, um, yeah, this was the Cubs best opportunity. I think the, you know, the, Marlins could say this. I don't think the Reds have any regrets, but the Marlins were gunning for it. If they come up short, they'll feel a little bit uh, miffed in terms of like some players not panning out because this division was, you know, they can't count on the Mets being as right. bad as they were. Uh, so like they're, they have to look at that. The Nationals might be better. So the Marlins are in a similar boat. So you could see two desperate teams here. The, the final week of the season, knowing that they missed some big opportunities uh, with teams that were trying to win in 2023 and might have been able to sneak in even with a lot of things not going the way they hoped a lot of nervous energy when it comes to this race in the national league for the final weekend again the cubs will be visiting the milwaukee brewers the marlins are playing the pirates and the reds are playing the st louis cardinals and the san diego padre still alive for the time being Playing against the White Sox. We'll see if the White Sox can spoil the Padres' last-ditch effort of trying to make the postseason. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. For those that are watching the YouTube stream, thank you guys so much for doing so. Check out our friends from the 108. Their show will be starting in a few minutes here at 8 p.m. Central Time at YouTube.com slash from the 108. If you're watching the video recording of this, thank you so much for watching a video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash machine. Please subscribe to the channel. We greatly appreciate it. And you can follow us on social media. We're everywhere now. Uh, X slash Twitter, Instagram, threads, blue sky. We're at socks machine. You can follow me there at socks machine underscore Josh. We always take the audio from the socks machine live streams and upload them into our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the socks machine podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple music. If you enjoy our if you enjoy your work and want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content and also ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening.